Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's good to see you this morning. Luke chapter 2, very familiar part of your Bible. So would you turn there to Luke chapter 2? It's good to sing Christmas songs with you. If you're visiting us for the very first time, I want to welcome you too. I'm glad you're here. My name is Nathan, and if you didn't know that you needed a Bible today, that's okay. Just use your smartphone. You could type in to Google Luke and the number two and press enter. It'll take you to a place where you could follow along with us today. But my warning to you is turn off the volume on your phone, mute it, do something, because it's going to ring or ding or talk or something. And so to save you the embarrassment, I'm helping you out now. Uh, Luke chapter two. Did you know it's 10 days till Christmas? The countdown is on. 10 days. What do you hope for for Christmas? What are you hoping for? This time of the year, there is all sorts of hope in all sorts of areas. Like, I hope I can find a parking spot at the mall this afternoon, you know. I hope the thing I was supposed to buy for Tanya three months ago is still available on Amazon and doesn't have a shipping date of February, you know. Kids, kids hope that Santa is going to bring them the best gifts ever. Here's a note that a boy wrote to Santa this is uh, what the boy wrote. He said, Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There is Jeffrey, he is two. There is David, he is four. And there is Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time, and David is good some of the time, but Norman? Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. <laughs> you can sense there's a little hope there in that message, like that's going to get him a, a few more things. Hey, kids are hoping for PlayStation. Kids are hoping for puppies. Parents hope they can just give their kids socks and then be happy. Families are hoping that there'll be some sort of unity, even though there's lots of arguing the rest of the year. Employees are hoping for Christmas bonuses this time of the year. Everybody's hoping for something. And so that's the topic that we're on today is hope. There are two different kinds of hope. You remember this from last week. There's a, a wishful kind of hope. It's described as the desire for something to happen so much so that your spirits are lifted. I wish it to be. I hope it would be. You probably have interchanged those two words before. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we use that word. I don't really know that it's going to happen. It may happen. It may not happen. I don't know. It just makes me feel good to even think about it. And then there's another kind of hope. And this is described as a confident expectation. So much so that it changes our outlook on life. I'm so sure that something is going to happen that it changes the way that I live my life now. My life is lived differently because I know something is going to happen in the future. And that is the kind of hope that we are talking about right now. Uh, last week, it was this hope frees us from our past. Because we studied last week that uh, we've all been born into uh, this family tree of Adam. We've all been uh, born into Adam's family. Okay, so we've all been born into that. And the Bible says that because we're born into that, because Adam is our ancestor, all people sin. Okay, we all do. Everyone in this room, you're looking at a sinner. We're all sinners. Everyone has done something that they know that they shouldn't have done. But the Bible also says is that sin separates us from God for, for eternity in a place called hell. The wages of sin is death, is, is the wording in the Bible. And the Bible says that the wrath of God abides with us because of our sin. And because of our sin, there is no hope. There is no hope. Because of our sin, we are destined to spend eternity in hell. Well, where's the hope in that message? Well, Jesus being the Savior comes, 
and he dies on the cross for our sin, he pays the fine that we could not pay. And so then our sin can be forgiven, that hope frees us from our past. And that is what we talked about last week. Now, this, this week we're talking about something a little bit different, that hope gives us a new future. That not only does it free us from our past, but hope gives us a new future. And that is what even the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders in the first century, around the time when Jesus was born, they knew the same thing. That when the Messiah was going to be born, that that means it's a, it's a new future for us, for the Jews, politically, culturally. It is going to be something brand new when that um, Messiah arrives. They are so excited about the Messiah's future that they were looking for the Messiah, which is so surprising because they missed him. They missed the birth of the Messiah, which is, which is amazing to me because they should have known everything about when and where and how the Messiah was going to be born. Did you know that in, in um, the book of Daniel, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born, so everyone knew the book of Daniel, they'd memorize portions of it, that in the book of Daniel, it talks about the generation, it describes the generation when the Messiah was going to be born. And it was so clear in Scripture that even the pagan uh, wise men from the east, you remember the wise men? These pagan, godless, they, they knew when it was going to be because when they saw the star, they knew exactly what time it was. And so the religious leaders, they should have known the generation. They knew the, the time that he was going to be born in. As a matter of fact, they even knew the place he was going to be born. Like it was Bethlehem. Well, did you know that there are two Bethlehems? Did you know that? There are two different Bethlehems on the map. There's Bethlehem in Galilee, and there's Bethlehem in Judea. And so which one? Which one was it going to be? Well, remember when the wise men, they showed up to King Herod asking where the Messiah was going to be. And all of the religious leaders, they all opened their Bibles to the book of Micah. And in Micah, it says that it is in Bethlehem Ephrata. Bethlehem in Frata, that separates out not Bethlehem in Galilee, but Bethlehem in Judea. So these religious leaders, all from the prophets, it's great that Pastor John read from the prophet this morning, Isaiah. The prophets describe the generation and the time and the place. And in Isaiah 7, we read Isaiah 9 when we were singing this morning, but in Isaiah 7, it describes the mother of the Messiah. She is described as a pregnant virgin. And so, obviously, you can't see the, the virgin part, but all you have to do is you have to look for a woman who is pregnant but has no kids. That would be a candidate, but it's amazing that they completely missed it. With all that they knew, the generation and the, the time and the place and who the mother was going to be, you'd think on the 91 freeway into Bethlehem, they would have had a sign out that said, Maternity Hospital, Messiah, turn this way. Okay? And Mary and Joseph would have taken the, would have followed the sign because they had nowhere else to go. You know that part of the story. They didn't have any place to stay. They would have gone to the maternity hospital. But... They missed it. The, the religious culture, they missed it. And Jews, still today, the, 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 the conservative ones at least, Jews still today are looking forward to the Messiah coming because they know that it is going to change their future. 
that the Messiah is going to change their future. And that is what they have hope in. And so that's why I asked you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at a really familiar passage today. This is probably the most well-known. This part of the Bible talks about the birth of Jesus. And obviously that's the the focus right now for the next couple of weeks. And today we are going to learn three different things from this passage. Today we're going to learn things about Jesus being born. We're going to learn when Jesus was born. We're going to learn where Jesus was born. And we're going to learn why Jesus was born. And you probably already know all the answers to those, and so you can go shopping early. But I bet that you're going to learn something new today. So we're in Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse one. When was Jesus born? And I bet, before we read it, if I was to poll most of you, you'd probably say, I know when Jesus was born. He was born on year zero, December 25th, year zero of our calendar. Because after all, our whole calendar is built upon Jesus's birth. We do realize that. Okay? While our entire world is arguing whether Jesus was real or not, our entire calendar <laughs> is built on his birth. We have B.C., which is before Christ, and then we have year zero, and then we have A.D., and in English, that's in the year of our Lord. So you have B.C., before Jesus, and after zero, you have in the year of our Lord. And so you'd say, well, Jesus was born December 25th, year zero. Well, these first three verses are going to help us a little bit with nailing down that a little more. Look at verse one. It says this, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So let's stop right there just for a minute. From, from Luke, we can almost pinpoint when Jesus is born on a calendar. We can almost pinpoint it. And so this verse gives us the first inkling of how to pinpoint it. It was while Caesar Augustus was ruling. Well, Caesar Augustus ruled from 30 BC to 4 AD. Okay? And so it has to fall somewhere in, in that time range. There's year zero, December 25th, year zero. And so Jesus' birth had to happen somewhere on that timeline right there. But we also know a few other things about Jesus' birth than just Caesar Augustus. We know from Matthew 2 that Jesus was born in the days of Herod. And that is another clue. So if we have our timeline here from 30 BC all the way to 4 AD, Jesus had to have been born before 4 BC because King Herod, Herod the Great, dies in 4 BC. And so that reduces the amount of time that we're looking at all the way down past year zero. Jesus was not born in year zero. I'm, I'm probably breaking apart all of your hopes and dreams of Christmas, but Jesus was not born in year zero because Herod dies in 4 BC. But there's more. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, it says that this was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. He was the governor in the Middle East, and this census was the very first one, but it wasn't the last one. 
it was the first one. In Acts chapter 5, there are, uh, there's a conversation happening in Acts 5, and they discuss the second census that was taken. It didn't happen in Acts 5. The dating would be wrong. They were describing about what happened before that, but in Acts 5 is the second census that was taken. And then the third census that was taken, we have writings about on papyrus, Egyptologists, that's their name. Did you know that's even a name? Egyptologists are scientists who study the Middle East. And they have found written on papyrus some details about the third census. What's written on paper is not about the second one. It's not about the the first one in Luke, but it's written about the third census. And this third one that we have in secular writing, not biblical writing, it tells us a few things about these censuses. One is that this, this third one happened in the year AD 20. AD 20. And it also tells us that they happen every 14 years. So every 14 years, they have a census. And so if the third one happens in 20 AD, the second one happened 14 years before. So if you do the math quickly in your head, all you math majors can do the math real quick. That means that the second one in Acts 5 occurred in 6 AD. That's when the second census occurred, was in 6 AD, the one that's described in Acts. But we're not looking for that one. We're looking for the first one. And so if you just count 14 years from there, backwards, you know, from 6 to 5 to 4 to 3 to 2 to 1 to 0, year 0, you have to count year 0, and then minus 1, you know, 1 B.C., 2 B.C., 3 B.C., 4 B.C., 5 B.C., 6 B.C., 7 B.C., 8 B.C. And so that is when, in 8 B.C., is when Caesar Augustus declares that we're going to have our very first census. And so it could, Jesus' birth could not have happened before 8 BC. So we had here from 4 BC all the way back to 30 BC when Caesar Augustus, but now this new information tells us that it could not have occurred before 8 BC. That's when the first census occurred. And so, of course, Caesar Augustus sends out the information, okay, we're going to count everybody, but then Quirinius has to work along with Herod and how they're going to get all of these Jews to move all around. They had the Jews locked down in the Roman Empire. They, didn't, they were wandering all around, and so they had, it took years for them to kind of arrange as all of that was going to happen as they were going to go to the places that they were going to go. Now, If that's not enough, we've got it narrowed down here a little bit. You remember that the wise men, when they came from the east, they saw the star, probably in 8 BC, they saw the star, and they're trying to look for the the Messiah, and they come and they they ask King Herod, "Where, where is the Messiah? That's where I mentioned, remember, they opened the books to Micah, and they said, oh, it's in in Bethlehem Ephrata. Remember that? Well, King Herod, Josephus, which is a um, a, a historian, an extra-biblical historian, just a cultural historian of the day, tells us that King Herod left 
Jerusalem and went to Jericho never to return. And he did that in 5 BC. And so when the wise men come to, to, to Jerusalem to look for the Messiah, it could not have been in 4 BC because King Herod would have been gone. And so it narrows it even a little more. And then what we know about the, the wise men and their travels and arranging a caravan to, when they saw the star to get there, uh, we're looking at right around 5 or 6 BC when Jesus was born. Right around 5 or 6 BC. That is amazing. Jesus was born six years before Jesus was born. <laughs> And so here we are, we're celebrating, here comes 2020, there goes 2019. Really, we're celebrating the coming in of 2026 and the leaving of 2025. Isn't that kind of weird? Now, in addition to that, now what about the day? What about the, the day that Jesus was born? The decision to put Christmas, a celebration of Jesus' birth on December 25th, was done in the 4th century uh, by the very first Christian uh, Roman emperor, it was Constantine, and he put it here in a particular celebration where they were already giving gifts, and that's where they placed it. But we don't know when Jesus was born. It could have been any day of the year. It could have been on September 19th. You know what September 19th is? It's a great day. It's not my birthday. No, not my birthday. It's even better than my birthday. September 19th, National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Oh. <laughs> Arry, mates. Daughter be the savior. I don't know. It could have been on any day. It could have been in December. It could have been on the 25th. But it could have been any other of the 364 days other than December 25th. We just don't know. But it doesn't really matter as long as it, it is celebrated. So now maybe you've learned something new about when Jesus was born. It was not year zero, December 25th. But then let's go to where Jesus was born. You'd probably say, well, in Bethlehem. And you're correct. Look at verse 4. And verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Sometimes the word there is used swaddling clothes or swaddling cloths. And so you already know that he was born in Bethlehem, but not in Bethlehem in, in, in Galilee, Bethlehem in Judea, different, different Bethlehems, so you get the right one. But where in Bethlehem? Was he born? Usually verse 7 kind of gives us a little bit of idea of where it's going to be. It says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And what we imagine is that Mary and Joseph show up to Bethlehem, and they, there's, no, there's no vacancy at Motel 6 or the, the Ramada, or Hilton. They, they're, they're, there's no room there. And so they walked next door where there was a, 
wooden shelter where animals were stored, and that's where she had her baby. That's what we imagine. But the inn here is not the, the, the Holiday Inn or, dad joke, Holy Day Inn. See, I, have to, I can only use that once a year, so you've got to let me have it. Right? So it wasn't the Holiday Inn. What, what this is describing here is what's known as a caravanassery. You ever heard that word before? A caravanassery. They're still in Israel today. It's kind of, it's, they're like, almost like museums now in antiquity, but they're still there. They are buildings at least two stories tall, made out of brick. And on the, the bottom floor is where you would keep your animals. And in the top part of the caravanassery is where then travelers would stay. Maybe you can even hear the word caravan in caravanassery. You, you hear that word? For travelers. It was a place for travelers to stay. The bottom, the bottom it, it was open for animals. You would feed them yourself. Uh, th- there was no innkeepers. There, 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 weren't, there, there wasn't maid service that was going to turn down your bed and put a mint on your pillow at the caravanassery. At the caravanassery, it was, just, oh, it was like a hostel, uh, you know, where people just travel around and they just stay in open rooms and you take a bed where you can get a bed. And it was basically a hostel for travelers. And so there was no room in the caravanassery. There, there wasn't any room there, and so they had to go look for other places where other people maybe stored their animals. And the people who lived in Bethlehem, they didn't store their animals in the caravanassery. That was just for travelers, in and out, in and out, in and out, all the time. They fed their own, they, they just found a room and a bed. But the people who lived in Bethlehem, they would, use, they would store their animals sometimes in caves, in stable caves. Lots of caves in Bethlehem, and they would keep their animals in caves. And that's exactly where Mary and Joseph went. They went to a cave, and they stayed in a cave, and Jesus was born in a stable cave. And I know that might be a weird idea to you because you thought it was a little easy up, made out of wood with uh, you know, a cow and, and that sort of thing that we imagine in, in our minds, but it was in a cave. And this idea of Jesus being born in a cave is nothing new. That this has been a part of Christian faith ever since Justin Martyr was born in 100 AD, 114 AD. And all the way since Justin Martyr, all the way till today, it is assumed that Jesus was born in a cave. As a matter of fact, in Bethlehem. If you go to uh, the church of the nativity. It's a church that was built on top of the place where Jesus was born. Here's a picture of it. This is a church built on top of the place where Jesus was, well, they have no idea where Jesus was born. They just had to pick a spot so that tourists would come and pay money to see it, and so they picked this spot, okay? And so this is the church of the nativity, and when you go inside, there's a beautiful Catholic hall there, and that is where um, people come and kind of can mill around. But at the end of the hallway there, at the end of the cathedral there, there are some stairs that go down underneath to a cave. And in that cave is where there are some little idols and some incense burning and where people go and worship the place where Jesus was born. 
It has always been assumed. Now, I don't think that Jesus was born in that doorway. It's kind of dark in there, but in that doorway, I don't think, I don't think Mary and Joseph went down those stairs, you know. But it has always been assumed that Jesus was born in a cave. And to confirm our suspicions, look at verse 12 of Luke 2. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, this is when the, the angels are speaking to the, uh, to the shepherds, and we'll get to the shepherds in just a minute. But this is what they say. They say, this will be a sign to you. This is how you will know how to find the, the Savior, the baby. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Here are the two clues that you guys need to look for when you go into Bethlehem. There's going to be a lot of babies crying. There's going to be a lot of babies there. Babies in homes, baby in the Hilton, baby in the Caravanassery, babies everywhere. How are you going to know which ones to look for? These two things. You're going to find a baby that is in the feeding trough of an animal, that's pretty weird. That would say, oh, that's unique. And the other clue, the other sign is that this baby is wrapped in cloths. And, and obviously, because it's a clue, it wouldn't be normal baby clothes, right? As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum tells us a little bit more about what these cloths are and what they reference. So let me show it to you. This is what he says. The swaddling cloths are not baby clothes because that would not be a sign. That would not be unusual at all because all babies are wrapped in baby cloths, right? You get the, you get the math that he's doing. If it's a sign, go look for this baby. That If they go in to look for a baby that has a onesie on with a giraffe and a little beanie, they're going to find 500 of them, okay? All the babies are wearing baby clothes. But these baby clothes are different. The word used here means burial cloth. Intermixed among the stable caves, and that's where they were, were in a stable cave, were also other caves used to bury people. Burial cloth was sometimes stored in nearby stable caves. If a man died in the town of Bethlehem, his body was taken out of the town in a funeral procession. The first stop was to be at a stable cave where burial cloth was stored. And the body was wrapped in burial cloth. And so, the procession would proceed to a burial cave. The round stone was rolled away. The body placed in a niche in the burial cave. And then the stone was rolled back over the mouth of the cave. And so this baby, you shepherds, you need to be looking for not just a, a baby, wearing a little cute onesie like all the other ones. You're looking for a baby, one that's lying in a feeding trough of an animal, and you will know for sure that it's the right one. This is your second sign that he was wearing the clothes of a dead person. <laughs> He's wearing the cloth that would be wrapping a dead person. Mary just had to find something, and so she grabbed that. That was going to be your two clues. And so those are pretty clear clues to follow for those, uh, for those guys who were looking for the Messiah. And so there you go. You know when Jesus was born. 
not in zero, but he was born in 6 BC. You know where he was born, not just in Bethlehem, but in a cave in Bethlehem, wrapped in burial cloth. Jesus was going to die someday, that's why he came. He's wrapped in burial cloth, and interestingly, once he was died and he was put in another, another cave, Another cave after he died was placed in there, and three days later, he left that burial cloth folded when he resurrected from the dead. Interesting. But fourth thing, why? Why was Jesus born? You could probably already do the math on that too, but let's look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. I think that's where we finished reading, right? Verse 8. In verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. So real quick, let me describe shepherds to you in this culture. Shepherds were detestable. They were the lowest rung on the social ladder. They were on the same, they were on the same level as the lepers. You know, and the lepers stayed outside. The shepherds are out on the hills outside. They were detestable, dirty people. They were known as thieves. And they had a reputation, uh, such a bad reputation that they earned, by the way. They, their reputation was so bad that there, was, there were national, uh, um, n- national requirements for shepherds. And they couldn't be certain places at certain times. There's like a moratorium on shepherds because of how detestable everybody looked, looked down on these, on these guys. They, they, you know, they're the homeless gangbanger with tattoos all over the face. And as soon as you see that, there's a stereotype that comes to your mind, these were those guys, the face tattooed kind of guys. And so they're out on the fields, and verse 9, it says, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This angel comes and tells these guys who were under a national moratorium, you can't go here and you can't go there and you can't do these things, that there is going to be a new Savior and a new Lord. Well, that was mind-blowing for them because in the first century, Caesar was Lord. Lord is just a person who sits on the throne, okay? And so for them, Caesar was Lord, and, and Caesar was worshiped because he sat on the throne. And so for an angel to come and say that there's gonna be a new king on the throne was mind-blowing, but that wasn't it, that he was also going to be a savior of the world. Eight Roman emperors took on that name, savior of the world. Eight different Roman empires called themselves, that was a part of their name, was savior of the world. And in that, in that era, in the people's minds, they were the savior. They, they, they brought culture, they, the Roman roads, the commerce that happened, the powerful Roman military that, that, the, uh, that the emperors brought protected them from all of their enemies. They were literally the one who sat on the throne that saved their world and they were worshiped. And the angel comes and says, there's gonna be another king who's gonna come and he's gonna sit on the throne and he's gonna take care of your worst enemy ever and that is sin. And so then these shepherds in verse 15, 
When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I love this. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph. They didn't even ask if they could crash the birth room at Bethlehem Kaiser or anything like that. They just, boom, went right in the room looking for the baby and they found him. And when they seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. Now, why would these guys, why would these dirty, scoundrel, uh, no good, uh, bottom of the rung, face tattooed, homeless guy, why would they show up to the birth of a king? Why would they do that? Well, I want to show you why they did that. It's better described in, in Peter, and I have it up on the screen if you aren't interested in turning there, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, this might look familiar to you from last week. This is how 1 Peter puts it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. First, first Peter says this, there is hope because you have freedom from your past. And that's in verse three. That's in the first half. Maybe you didn't see it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. You know what mercy means? Mercy means not giving somebody something that they deserve. You know, when your kids do something wrong <laughs> and they deserve it, but you don't give it to them, that is mercy. And that is exactly what has come with Jesus Christ is we are all a part of the Adams family. We are all a part of the Adams family tree. We have all sinned. That's who we are. And yet there is mercy because Jesus is born and he dies and he raises from the grave, we now have the opportunity to not receive what we deserve. We deserve that. We are sinners. We have separated ourselves from God. We deserve that, but there is hope because of the mercy that comes in Jesus Christ that our sins can be forgiven, that the, our past is now uh, removed because of Jesus, there is freedom from our past. That was last week. But this week, look at verse four. It says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Not only is, do we have freedom from our past, from our sins, crippling us into the future, but we also have a brand new hope because we are born into this new family, this new family tree of Jesus Christ. We now have this new hope about our future. What do you hope about your future? What do you hope for about your future? You think like New Year's, you know, I'm gonna exercise a little more and eat a little healthier, lose a little weight. So you think about your future or maybe you think a little further down if you're a teenager in here thinking like boyfriend, girlfriend or I, I wanna get married someday. Is that what you're you thinking about your future or or I, I, I want a better job than I have right now, or 
I want to buy a house right now. Is that what you're thinking about your future? Or, or I want to make more money. Is that what you're thinking about your future? Well, the promised future here is none of those things. And that's a good thing. The promise here is that you have a future even if all of those futures never come true. You have a future even though none of those futures may not ever happen. And let's, let's, let's be real for a minute. They probably won't. I know you're dreaming about something in the future and it's okay to dream. It's a wish. I hope it happens. I hope it'll happen someday. But, but life is gonna beat you up if it hasn't already. And your future will not be the same as you are imagining it today. It just won't. That is the way that life is. That your future on planet Earth is not what you imagine it, but the hope is, is that we still have a future even if your future never changes from today. You might not ever find the right man or woman to marry, ever. You might be single for the rest of your life. You might never get a different job from where you are right now. You might never, you might, be a, you might be a shepherd for the rest of your life. You might never make the millions of dollars that you were hoping for. You, never might, you, never, you might never buy that home that you were hoping to get, ever. And yet the promise is there is a future for you anyway. And what is that future? The future is an inheritance that is in heaven that even if you never stop being a shepherd or, or what you do for work, that there's riches in heaven because you are now in the family tree of Jesus Christ. You've put your faith and your trust in Jesus and your, your past has been removed. You have freedom from your past and that's a wonderful thing. But now, even though your future might not be what you hoped it would be, there is a future in heaven, inheritance in heaven, and this is what the hope, this is hope, that you are so sure that that inheritance is gonna be there that you live your life differently today. That is what hope is. Not, ho- not hoping like I wish it would be and be really nice if it was the case. So sure that that inheritance is there that is going to change the way that you're going to live today. And that's exactly what happened to the shepherds. The shepherds needed that kind of hope. And that's what they got. Look at verse 20 of Luke 2. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back after they went and visited Jesus, glorifying and praising God. Why did they do that? Because they got saved. They needed their past forgiven. They had a past. You have a past too, don't you? You have a past. Remember what it was like when you were a teenager? Remember all the idiot things that you did when you were a teenager? You have a past. Or maybe when you were raising your kids that you now regret the things that you did when you were raising your kids, you have a past. Or the words that used to come out of your mouth, you have a past. Or the things that you used to smoke to get high, you have a past. Or the things that you used to do when you got drunk, you have a past. We all have a past. The shepherds had a past. And they were so glad to know that they would have freedom from their past. They'd have freedom from the stereotype. They earned the stereotype. And yet now they were free spiritually from their stereotype. And not only that, but they had riches that they could never imagine here on planet Earth. They probably weren't going to go too far up the social rungs being who they were. You can't undo face tattoos. You, know? you can't undo shepherdism. You, you stink like a sheep for the rest of your life. 
but they had hope. And so the shepherds come back and they're glorifying and praising God. You're going to meet these guys in heaven. Isn't that, you can ask them all about the angels that they saw and argue with them where did the angels sing or did they say? That's a big argument in Christianity. I don't know why it is, but whoa. whichever one it was, the shepherds can answer your questions for you there. Praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen just as it had been told him. They go back to their sheep. You know, the sheep that they're raising out on these fields, they're homeless. They, they, that's what they do. Culture doesn't want them. They, they, they live with animals. You know the sheep that they're raising? They are raising the sheep that are gonna go to the temple to be the sacrificial animals in the temple. And so they go back and they raise these sheep. And as they are taking these sheep to the temple to be purchased as sacrifices, they know exactly who the sacrificial lamb is because they put their faith and their trust in this Jesus. And now they have hope too. And I tell you all these things, you now know where he was born. You know when he was born. And now you know why he was born. To not only give us freedom from our past, but to give us new hope of heaven, eternity in heaven. I tell you all this because you've heard these things before, but you know some people who are shepherds. You know some people who are shepherds. Let me tell you who the people you know that are shepherds. It's people who say, oh man, I can never go to your church. Lightning's gonna strike me as soon as I come in the door. You know people like that. You know why they say that? Because they have a past. They, they have a past. They, they, they are running in the back of their mind all the things that they've done wrong and all the reasons that they don't deserve any sort of hope like this. And so when they say, I can't ever come there, I can't ever darken the doors, they don't know the kind of person that they're getting when I show up. It's because they have a past. You know people who have a past and who don't want to come to church, they don't want to think about godly things because they have a past. They're just like the shepherds. And so you know a shepherd. They, they, they don't have a hope for their future. They, they, they hope things about their future. They, they wish things about their future. They, they, they want it to be good in their future, but they don't have the kind of confident hope that you do. You know someone who's a shepherd, and so I want you to invite them to come hear about the hope themselves, okay? Next Sunday is Christmas Sunday, 22nd. And so I want you to invite the shepherds that you know. <laughs> Whether they stink or not, bring them, okay? I'm willing to sacrifice their building. If they say the lightning's gonna, just tell them, the pastor said he'll sacrifice the building. If lightning really does come, okay, there goes our building. We'll be worshiping Jesus skylights, okay? I'm willing to sacrifice our building for you to bring your friends who are sure that this place is gonna crumble in upon, I'm willing to sacrifice that, Okay? So tell your friends, I want you to come to church with me. Okay, you know who they are. I don't know who they are. The reason that you are friends with them is so that you can invite them, so that you can be a part of bringing these people to hear about the gospel of Jesus, okay? And so next week, I'm gonna tell them a part of the Christmas story that they have never heard, and it's possible that you haven't heard it either. Because look, today we already got to the birth of Jesus and the angels and the shepherds and all that. You're thinking, man, what is he gonna preach about on Christmas Sunday? <laughs> I thought that was Christmas. All right. So come next week, tell your friends, I'm gonna meet you right out front at 10.35, okay? 10.35, I'm gonna meet you under the arches at 10.35. You need to tell your friends exactly where to meet you, you'll be waiting there, okay? If they're late people, 10.20, okay? 
Give them some time to be late. Get some donuts and coffee and bring them in here because they need to hear about the same hope that, that you've heard about. They're shepherds. They, 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 feel, they, they feel like they're on the outs. And what scripture tells us is they are. They are outside of the sacrifice of Jesus and they need to be in it. They need to hear about the hope and they need to put their faith and their trust in Jesus too, just like you have. Maybe one or two of you in here today have realized that you've been a shepherd for a long time, that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never been what Peter calls born again. You've never put your faith and your trust in this Jesus. You have been born into Adam's family, but you've never been born into Jesus's family. And today is the day where you could do that. You could put your faith and your trust in this Savior today who died on the cross for your sin so that you don't have to pay for it eternally in hell and so that your past can be forgiven, your sins can be washed away. You can have eternity, a hope that is in heaven with an inheritance. So I'm gonna ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And that just creates a little uh, separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. So nothing else is happening now. In this moment, I want you to consider the things that you've heard today. Maybe you know that you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need a savior. You want to go to heaven. You don't want to pay for your own sin eternally in hell. We've all been in the same place you are. And the Bible tells us that all, it, all you need to do is change your mind about who Jesus is. You just need to change your mind that he is God, that he came to earth, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the grave that he's in heaven today listening to your prayer and he can forgive your sin too. And maybe you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus today. There's nothing else that you need to do other than talk to him about this. So in the quietness of this moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one else is paying attention to you. You don't need to walk anywhere. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, anything like that. God knows what's on your mind. He knows what's on your heart. You don't have to convince God of something. He, he knows but in the quietness of this moment, this is what you can say to him. You can say, dear God, I know that I've sinned. I've done things I shouldn't have done. And I know that that separates me from God forever. And so I need someone to rescue me from that. And I believe that that is who Jesus is. I changed my mind about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus came to earth to be 100% man and 100% God. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinned one time. So I believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't dying for his own sin. I believe that he was dying for my sin. I believe that Jesus paid my price on that cross. He was the perfect, sinless, sacrificial lamb that died for me. And I believe that he not only died, but three days later he rose from the grave and that he is alive in heaven today. And I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my hope in this Jesus. I put my future in the hands of this Jesus. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the immediate promise is that God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. You now are going to heaven. There is an inheritance with your name written on it in heaven for you, whether your future changes or not. Many of you are already Christians today, and that's a wonderful thing. But you know shepherds. 
You know people who are shepherds that need to hear this too. And so, I want you to, to, to consider inviting somebody to come with you to church next week. They might accept, they might not. But at least you could be God's hands and feet in, in inviting them to come. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. I want you to say, dear God, I pray for, put their name in there. God knows who they are. God wants them to be saved. So the Bible says he wants all to come to repentance. He wants them to go to heaven, just like you do. God, I pray for, put their name in there. I pray that you would help me to, to invite them, to call them face-to-face, ask them to come. And I pray that they would accept that invitation. Dear God, I thank you for your word and I thank you that you tell us that you are not only giving us freedom from our past and our sin, but you give us a hope, a future in heaven. You've changed our future and that's why we're here today. We're worshiping you because of that. And so we thank you for this in Jesus' name.